Come on and join me on the B-side When movie stars that weren't in their prime Made all the movies that got left behind That got them covered on the B-side You're gonna like it on the B-side Cause you got Dan and Connor by your side Throwing your knowledge from the inside And now you're listening to the B-side Hello, everyone. Welcome to the B-Side podcast for the film stage. Here we talk about movie stars and in this case, movie directors. Uh, We were uh, and not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the ones they made in between. And today uh, we were very fortunate to talk with writer director Mark Pellington, who you would probably know from movies like Arlington Road or The Mothman Prophecies. Uh, But he has a number of other really great smaller movies under his belt, not to mention a well-storied career in directing music videos. Uh, In this case today, we're talking to him uh, partially about a re-edit of his first film, Going All the Way, which stars Jeremy Davies, Ben Affleck, and Rachel Weisz in a coming-of-age tale set in the 1950s. Um, It was Pellington's first feature that he got the chance to recently re-edit, and it is now being re-released as Going All the Way, the director's edit from Oscilloscope. It's quite good. It's a pretty far-ranging conversation from his music video work to all the great material that's on his website, markpellington.com. And going all the way, the director's edit is now playing at Braindead Studios in LA and will release on December 16th at Quad Cinema in New York with a rollout to follow. Here is our conversation with the excellent Mark Pellington. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. This is an honor on our on this side of the table for sure. It was exciting to hear about the director's edit of Going All the Way, which just for context, movie came out in 1997 um, and is like one of those movies I think was well regarded at the time, but kind of came and went, unfortunately. And like everybody who's in the movie is a huge like name now and like even like i feel like five years later it was like to to go back and watch it is such it's an interesting curio and so what you've done is essentially you've re kind of you made a new movie in a lot of ways and i guess why don't you just tell us about that to start and then we can kind of jump into it yeah it really is a new movie and i think that's what i appreciated when oscilloscope agreed to do it the world warring for a uh, Gramercy released comedy from Sundance expanded. It's this curio to look back and, you know, seeing these people when they were just beginning their careers, but they were, you know, they were, they were showing the flashes of what made them eventually, you know, successful. This was, I think, catching them right at that, at that moment where they, they left this boat and became much bigger or more idiosyncratic, or more popular. And so to come back and revisit the movie 25 years later and have it be seen as a new piece has been a great honor. It's been a miracle to revisit and now do, I think, a more complete version of my vision of the film with 25 years of experience under my belt. A new score took 30 minutes out of the original 98-minute cut, restored over an hour of new material, 
subplots, new score. So it's really, really kind of not just a new coat of paint. We really took the engine of the novel, took it into the garage and came back out with something that's really a more complete vision of what I always believed it could be, yet in 1997 was either too exhausted, too beat down, or too inexperienced to fight for something. Um, but again, that was one version of the movie that came out, and this is just a you know a more complete vision of Dan Wakefield's book, and the fact that he's 90 years old now, got to see the vision completed before he lost his eyesight. So we're talking 46 years later, that completion, that cycle is now out for a new generation of people to experience coming of age in the 50s. Mark, you mentioned, you know, obviously coming back to it with 25 years more experience under your belt. Did who some of these actors have become in terms of personalities or levels of fame or movie stardom or anything like that, or, or who they've evolved into as performers now and how people see them now, did that inform any of the kind of re-editing process as you're putting things, you know, putting things back in? No, I mean, Rachel, there's three scenes of Rachel that are in this new edit that never saw the light of day. Mm -hmm. And her whole, the subplot of Gunner growing a beard, going deeper into his relationship with her, the anti-Semitic argument between the parents, the culmination of a fight at the pool. All of that was never in the cut, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, that I was never that, in yeah. the cut. Yeah. The entire, most of the journey to the quarry, the healing, the aftermath of the quarry, was in the Sundance cut, but didn't make the final cut. Oh, that's interesting. So, okay, yeah. So that was in the Sundance cut. That's interesting. Right. Huh. So what it was was an elongated first act of hormonal Sonny getting caught jerking off by a preacher who his mother had staying at the house. So it was kind of like really pushing the, it was more Porky's and less American graffiti. Sure. And I think what it was, was it was less of a three-act structure and the, this film is allows the all the completion of all the elements that were really in the book. Mm -hmm. Right. So Leo Trombetta, who was the key, is the editor, and he was really the key one to help me look at this thing objectively. It's what we took out of the original version. And for example, there's a scene where Ben Affleck is talking about how he convinced Rachel to sleep with him. And he comes across as like, at the time in the 50s, probably just like a man's man kind of cocky, but it came across as slightly misogynistic. And this was a scene that was in the original movie. And Leo was just like, you know what? It just kind of shades him. Like, we know he's confident. We know he's self-assured. And how he went from being nervous with her to suddenly now having more confidence. Did he really need to say certain words? And it wasn't through the prism of like some woke police, but I, I you know, what an editor's job is to protect the characters, right? Mm. Yeah. If they're mannered and they're doing stuff like Jeremy Davies, like all over the place, like the editor's job is to make the performer and the performance as strong as it can be. Mm -hmm. And Leo is a genius editor and he's the one who kind of helped me see this new version in a complete way. 
Yeah, and, and and it's you know I'll use into that to the editing and 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 whatnot. I'll I'll use this as a, perhaps a segue into kind of your career in full, which is that new opening. You know, in the director's edit, that new opening sequence is so um, arresting and it's so interesting. And there's an avant-garde nature to it and kind of a chopped up thing happening without kind of giving too much of it away. But it did kind of, to me, recall as I was kind of going through everything you've done and you've had this incredibly eclectic career, it, it recalls something like Buzz, right? From MTV, from all those years ago, which like for those who might not know who are listening, right, Mark, like you were really a part of this crucial moment in the culture where when MTV was, you know, what MTV was initially like pre the we, the real world, which was like doing really interesting things. And I think that ended up, you know, informing a lot of the work you ended up doing, of course, but Buzz was this kind of insane show that I was like watching clips of it last night prepping for this. And I was astonished it was ever on MTV like, to know it now. So I don't know if you want to well, just speak um, about some of that, but I'm ahead, making, we're making, we've been working for a year and a half on a documentary about buzz. Oh my God. Oh, okay, that's that's awesome. The fact that Chris Gore from film threat said three years ago, you need to make buzz again. I'm like, what? He goes, no, you need to make buzz again. I'm like, well, nobody knew what buzz was. He goes, <laughs> well, you need to make a doc. So buzz was this, thematic collage 30 minute themed programs that were a combination of avant-garde news magazine uh i'll send you the trailer for it if you send me your website it's super fucking cool and it was way ahead of its time influenced i mean this was before the internet yeah this was before there was an internet we chopped up images that mtv had in their library and footage from around the world into these global collages that predated what really what two and a half minute content pieces are now on the internet. Mm -hmm. So we were doing that then. So that whole aesthetic of analog aesthetic film chopped up video art that kind of, I came out of in the eighties at MTV stayed with me through the nineties, stayed with me through videos. And ironically, the kid, I call him a kid, Sergio Pinero, was editing with me on the buzz thing. He did a film called The Severing, which is a dance film that I made oh, sure. recently. And so I said, Sergio, I want to redo the titles for Going All the Way. I don't want them to be these Happy Days titles. Um, I had shot all this really cool material for fantasies and cutaways, and I had old film optical, all these film elements. And I said, Take seven, because Kyle Cooper, who did the titles for seven, is also a friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And Arlington Road, he had done the titles. I said, okay, Sergio, here's your chance to out Kyle Cooper, Kyle Cooper, <laughs> and take all the stuff. And I just gave him hours of drives and stuff and flares and different versions of stuff and the film. And we pre-mixed the track that was kind of weird and atonal. And I said, just go to town. And he crushed it. He crushed it. So, yes, it's full circle. I didn't want it to be seen as a new, as the old movie. I wanted a new window into this new version of going all the way. Without chopping that up throughout the whole film. I didn't want to do that throughout the whole film. I just wanted the, the, the doorway to be painted, you know. But it is an interesting, uh, it is an interesting sort of uh 
primer for some of the fantasy daydreamy elements that do pop up in the film that are yes. maybe a little more avant-garde so that when those things happen, they don't necessarily take you by surprise. The new, this, this new title sequence really does kind of get you immediately yeah. into the tone of the thing you're about to watch, which is obviously what it should do. Right. Um, I remember when it first came out, Darren Aronofsky, I remember where I first met him and he, he loved all the subjective stuff in going all the way. Like he goes, I'm going to use that. Like, and Sonny's like inner monologue before he goes out with Rose and like talking and trying to jump cuts of the lights and his inner, inner voice. And he loved all that stuff. And that subjectivity and the expressionistic visual stuff, which was looked at as like kind of gratuitous when the movie came out because it was a very objective external film. Yes. I wanted this one to be an internal weird subjective experience. So with the opening titles and the voiceover at the beginning, you're, it's kind of like part acid trip, part reading the novel. It goes back to what mm. the novel was like, this internal experience rather than an external experience. Yeah, I wonder, do you, I mean, you can tell me what you think about, I mean, revisiting a lot of your work, like, does it, does a term like maximalist, does that like bother you in general? Like, cause it's just even something, cause you're so good at these kind of high level like I'm thinking about Arlington Road, right? So Arlington Road and Mothman Prophecies, right, are obviously not B-sides, right? They're very much A-sides. But, you know, me and Connor are kind of the right age for these movies, which is to say, like, you know, and I, I feel like I've said this on our podcast before. Arlington Road was the first movie I have. Well, I guess I don't want to, I guess, spoil, skip ahead 30 seconds. Yeah, because I'm just going to listen. If you haven't seen Arlington Road, it. we're going to. I, I, I yeah. Just literally 30 seconds. But Arlington Road was the first movie I ever watched where the bad guy won. And it, I will think of it for the rest of my <laughs> life. Because of it, and it's I, and like I had, when I saw Straw Dogs for the first time on Network when I was sure, 15, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah and I would have, I would have been ten or something. Yeah, I would have been like maybe a little, yes, the, around that age, maybe a little younger. And my mom had like got it on pay per view or something, and like that framed so much of my life, like you know, of like just as I became more of a fan of movies and tried to make my own stuff, and like, and um, and then to go back and revisit it, you have the like giallo red in the the house party scene where it's like and it's so crazy and like so arresting and like so different from so many other studio films at that time and even and now it's like it feels like it was like a different you know planet right where you compared to kind of those types of whatever you would even compare that type of movie getting made now. So I guess creative freedom in a risk-taking studio. I made four movies for a company called Lakeshore. Mm, Right. They believed in me. And so there weren't like note picking and 50 people on zooms and algorithms. Like you got to make the movie. And if the story worked, they liked the style. They liked the sound and the image, this location and the, the immersive nature of it. And I, I would like to have made more of those, but my life took a turn in 2004 and I never got to make big movies or big thrillers again. Then the business changed. But whether it's max, I like that word maximalist. I like that. Um, or visualist or I, I just I feel I just want to make movies now like I make my music videos, which are just feeling and image and story. I understand enough about narrative and character now where I could trust my instincts and I can balance sentimentality and emotion with 
you know, it's, it's hard to learn how to make movies and you just get better with each one. But the quote unquote business has changed so much. It's just harder and harder. So I just got to make them cheaper so I can make more. And I'm proud of what I've made. And I love talking to you guys about these things, but like, God, I'd love to make about three or four more that can have the same impact, like that aren't the road. And I've got a couple coming that I think could do that. It's just, it's harder these days. There's less risk taking. There's a lot more fear. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I know that, yeah. So just for context, right. So Arlington road, 99 Mothman, the Mothman prophecies. Oh, two, right. Oh, two. Yeah. And both do well. Right. And then, like you said, things change in Oh four, but then you, you have Henry pool is here. Um, which is a movie I like uh, quite a bit. And then um, I melt with you, which definitely like touched a nerve. I was at that Sundance. And like, I think since has been that movie is going to get rediscovered. Well, and I was about to tell you, so we have a a friend of ours who's, who's a great writer. His name's Scout Tafoya. I love Um, Scout. Oh, okay. So, you know, his, the, the unloved, his essay. Yeah. 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 The unloved. Sure. Yeah. So, so we know, yeah, so we know him. And so, yeah, it's, I'm happy that movie is kind of getting attention as years go on to your point. And, and look, speak, you know, um, speaking of maximalism, it's like, you're taking a very simple narrative and you're kind of adding your artistry into it. Right. And I think those things tend to, um, stand the test of time. So I think that's really, um, uh, interesting. One movie, I mean, maybe talk for a second, just because I do think it's a B-side. Henry Poole is here, I think also should be re I don't think, I think it got pretty decent reviews when it came out, but I, I do wish more people had seen it. If you want to just talk about maybe that movie for, for a minute, because that's something worth. But my wife had died before and I was really sad. And I watched the movie recently. I was like, I didn't trust the script enough to, to like, where I leaned a little bit too much on montage to tell the story. And again, I'm really proud of Luke's performance in that. But anytime you do something that has anything to do with faith, you're going to alienate half the people. Like, oh, it's a faith-based movie or it's a religious movie. And I'm really proud of his performance in that. And I just watched it. And I was like, God, I was like, boy, if I could recut that one, I would do something different in, in that. Um I, you know, I think it was that was the right movie for me to make at that time. And it got a lot of stuff out. And then other stuff in my life happened and my mother passed. And I, you know, I, I was I had been sober and I relapsed and made I Melt With You because I made I Melt With You because Soderbergh said you got to just will a movie into happening. I was so frustrated that a remake of The Orphanage wasn't happening. And like I was like, I've got to just go make a movie. I paid for it. Most of it myself was like, fuck it. You know what I mean? I've made two movies myself, Nostalgia and I'm out with you. And because like you can't be so unempowered by this business where you, people will be like, oh, why aren't you making that? It's like, it's not my decision. Do you mm. know what I mean? And, and if you have certain tastes or certain things, you can't control that. So, you know, you fight, you fight, you fight. And I just got an email a couple months ago. I had written out to Tom Quinn, who was the head of Magnolia at the mm-hmm. time. And he bought I'm Out With You. And now he runs Neon. And he just was talking about how much he still loved that film. And, you know, sure, it predated a male toxic culture. But when you hit that raw nerve 
and you just really strip something down to all its ugliness, it's not for everybody. Those hmm. guys weren't for everybody, you know, because they behave like people we don't want to be around. They behaved. I remember at the junket, like I was like, people would come up and Rob, the movie had already gotten creamed. And we're at the junket and Rob Lowe's like, what did this guy say about us? And I'm like, I said, he creamed us. And he goes, well, look at him. He never did drugs. He never hung out with the kind of people. Like, so if you hated those kind of people in college or high school, you hated the movie, period. That's fine. That That's fine. And different movies have to hit different. I was just reading a thing in the New York Times about Glengarry, Glen Ross, and Reservoir Dogs, right? Both movies of their time about like male figures that are really kind of like misogynistic and kind of hateful and you know like they were of their time so everything changes and i've changed i wouldn't make i'm out with you now what i want to make now is different i want to put stuff together that can take from buzz to the severing i just want to make personal movies and have enough of a budget range to tell each story some are a million bucks some are 10 million I don't have 50 yeah. million. I wouldn't know what to do with $50 million. I literally <laughs> wouldn't know what to do with it except make 10 $5 million movies. Well, hey, I hope you get 50 million. I would love that if you got, <laughs> if you could Thank make you. Five, 10 $5 million uh, movies. But so, Connor, me and Connor were talking about, um, and Connor, correct me here. Hmm. We were talking about that. So, the Quibi show Survive, right? It comes out in those like, what is like eight minute ish? right episodes the feature and that's kind of, coming out in december okay so well that's weird i i, yeah, I, ahead, I had seen that on on your imdb and obviously you never know with imdb in terms of like what's up to date or what's accurate or whatever and the i was just curious. style is releasing it the feature version of it got it and it's i was just curious it's okay it's okay it's a sophie turner and Corey hawkins it's a survival it's better than the mountains between us i'll tell you that well and it got <laughs> it, it got the quibi had gotten some some primetime emmy recognition when it when it had come out which is yes, obviously not not yeah. nothing so i was just curious how would you compare i mean a just the experience of making a quibi right just given that whole enterprise's sure. place now in 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 pop culture history i suppose and like how would you compare the the recutting or cutting together, let's say, of survive versus what you're going through with going all the way? Great, like, great question because it, it was very informative. You make it for Quibi, you make the series for Quibi. Everybody and their mother wanted to make stuff for them. Like it was just like it was the thing. If you could get a show for Quibi, they got money, they got real budgets, mm -hmm. real actors. Go do it. So you go make the experience, and then. They're like vertical or horizontal. So you're doing, you're framing for both sides, but you're not really, because you can't, you know? You know yeah, right. Sure. That's, in, that's interesting. Of course you are. Tale, and we start to edit it and they're like, we want to see the vertical version. And then the vertical version, you really play with like split screens and mm -hmm. triptychs. Yeah. It was unbelievable. We showed them one episode, Katzenberg's like, you can't use all the split screens. It's too confusing to watch. I'm like, confusing? Nobody will ever watch it horizontal after watching it vertical because it's so interesting. You've got a single, a cutaway, two shots all together. So once they kind of watered that down and folded, nobody really saw it. We mm. quickly were able to make a feature version of it. And what you learned is when you're doing highly compressed eight-minute sequences, 
and you string them together, it's not like when you look at the first edit assembly of a movie and it's three hours long. Mm. This was tight as shit, right? Yeah. It was buttoned up and stuff happens every eight minutes, which is a good thing to have happen in movies. And if anything, we added about seven minutes by just adding a scene and stretching the big wide shots out that on a phone, because again, they were arrogant enough to not put it on TV. Right. right? They're like, oh, it's only on a phone. I'm like, so a shot of an aerial shot that's three seconds on a phone that lasts good because your eyes control the phone, that's different on a big screen. So it becomes six seconds. So we just expanded it, which we knew we were going to do always anyway. And the feature version played really well. And then they've sold it around the world, but they couldn't because of mental health issues in the, in the subject matter. For some reason, a couple of the big streamers got scared of it. Hmm. Like, I can't believe that. So it's coming out on some some company called Freestyle that's going to, you know, at least it'll be out in the world. It'll be on some little thumbnail nickel-sized thing on some screen to be out in the morass of stuff, at least that people can watch the whole movie. But, you know, Mark, don't you, Mark, don't you think it's funny, though? Like, a movie, and I don't, I'm not saying, like, um, I don't have like stats for this, but like if right, like uh, the Mothman prophecies, right. If you, if you put that on Netflix right now, it would be like number four for like two weeks because that's said, like, yeah, I don't know because people movie, I don't know why that movie has not gone into stream. Why Mothman hasn't gone to streaming. I, I don't know how it works with like Sony owning it or something like that. But the the point being, I've done pilot, I've done pilots before that never get seen, right? You do a pilot right. and never get seen. Survive was just one of those things. It's never really been seen, so I'm glad that it'll be seen. Yeah. But you want the widest audience. I'd love sure. Mothman to be on Netflix. That would be unbelievable. I don't control it. No, no, I know. I'm just saying it's it speaks to kind of I guess to, what I'm saying is it speaks to kind of the longevity of the work you do in the sense of like you'll see those types of kind of high, like well-made genre pictures, right, are are watched by by millions now, even if it is just a thumbnail, because there's still this urge for that exact type of kind of high-level entertainment. You know what I mean? And I think that's just – I try to be optimistic, I guess is my but point. That's because with that I stuff, don't yeah. give up. I'll be honest. That's why I don't give up my direct TV. I watch – a bulk of my movies on cable. So mm -hmm. I want to watch like there's the born movies and clear and present danger and, and like uh, hereditary and whatever I cable has. I find myself just watching stuff on cable. I want to watch double jeopardy or, <laughs> or, or they're always, there's always interesting movies on uh, go record it, you know, and, I find myself flipping on Netflix. I mean, I don't recognize any of these films. And I'll watch some of them and be like, okay, that's, they all just look flat. They're really flat. Yeah. Oh. So, a lot oh, of bad cinematography these days. I yeah, the flat the flat is is a no joke thing. Yeah. That's and very little style. The framing is the same. It's all the same. Watch streaming content, dramatic content, streaming. Um, you know, prestige drama. I swear, 
it's all the same, the same frames, the same meat, because mm-hmm. it's a writer's medium. And there's some great directors who do stuff, but I, I got to tell you, like I love Jason Bateman when he did The Outsider. I wrote him a note, and he had been a Mothman fan. Right? It was like the style, and I was like, yeah, that got weird and got interesting and interesting sound design. But most of the stuff is like an Apple show versus a thing. Like they're all the same. Yeah. Because they're writers. Writers are not directors. That's the problem. That's why I like film. I just like films. Film, film, film. (laughs) Yeah. And I, and I've, and I mean, you probably know more than I do. I, I have heard from people part of it too is also there's like a dictation a lot of times to shoot more flat for the, because of the devices, you know, the variety of devices in with which people are watching things. So it's like not complicating, you know, the RGB on your iPhone 11, as opposed to your 4k, right? Like having this kind of, it's been, there's some guy with a ham sandwich. that's always going to brighten something up. So you have to, the quality control that you have to do. And, And to their credit, like Quibi was like, what came out was, it, that's that was just distribution, um, right. like just all the stuff just it just disappears again. It's like doing a pilot that nobody sees. So I just mm-hmm. put them on my website. I put my pilots on my website, and that like networks have never said take them down. Like weird, interesting stuff that never saw the light of day. Well, and can I actually recommend since you brought it up on your website, which is a great resource, and every director should have it laid out the way you do. Like you kind of have like a. You have a, it's a, it's like the chronology of your life and career with links to basically Everything. anything you can show that you've made. Yeah. And Father's Days, a documentary you made, mm-hmm. right, in the late yeah. 90s. Fascinating, really powerful 26 minutes. I was, I watched it last night. Uh, big recommend, I would say. Um, I, I just lost a family member to mm-hmm. a similar, um, scenario with sorry to hear that i'm making yeah uh, there's a feature version that paul schrader wrote the first draft of years back that i'm trying to get made that's come that's come close to getting made twice oh wow called clang c-l-a-n-g and that is my opus clang is going to take buzz the severing moth all of it it's a murder mystery it's an unsolvable murder mystery about re-editing your childhood and it's been it's my life's work and we wow. just have recent interest from a company that now wants to back some offers but it's very complex and very dense and very challenging and i'm being in completely uncompromising in it um but i really appreciate you watching that doc because it's basically in his struggle with all and my inability to really get any closure because of his loss of speech and his loss of remembering who i was it was you know it was a terrible tragedy yeah and i think and, and i and i guess you know speaking to your you don't want to generalize but like your your the aesthetics that you've played with your for your career you're able to there's some incredibly honest you know uncut moments in that piece and then but then you're intercutting it with family videos with kind of some more avant-garde moments of like not unlike, you know, the opening credits, you know, the new opening credits yeah, of going all the much, way. That- yeah, very much like so. there's a video on my on my site under music videos by a band called Low from Minnesota. And it's an eight minute music film 
called Fly. And it's actually my mother. And it's footage I shot of my mother when she was passing. And it's a companion to Father's Days. And we made it for $1,000. And it just flows like, here's a song. Go make something. It was all footage from my iPhone. And the band was shot with like an old baby monitor camera, like an infrared night vision thing. And it's just that free association. So the story is in there, but it's much more, you can really play with layers of subconscious because there's no plot, right? There's no, I'm plot is, I need a really well-structured engineered screenplay plot to hang my stuff on. So Arlington Road was a bulletproof plot, right? I love Mothman because it was like, the plot was like enough, there was enough space in it to do stuff visually mm. and sonically. And it there was enough of a story there that made sense. But at the end of the day, it didn't answer any questions. Right. You know, right. other stuff, it's just like, I, you know, like finding the zones of expressionism and motion and meaning. I just have to find my way into all the layers of a story before I can really attack it. Um, that's why just in the last three years, I've just been writing and writing and developing my own stuff and building up this arsenal of stuff that I want to make. And I'm super excited about what I you know, hope can come out. Well, it's great that you use that, obviously, this weird time to to be so productive. I think that's actually obviously very encouraging. Let me just ask you kind of as we're approaching the end, let me ask, and we've talked about a lot, obviously, is there anything in particular you, you know, any doesn't have to be a b-side doesn't have to be a movie anything you've made that you just say hey watch this obviously you like you said clang you're working on getting made but anything in the past you're like hey this is something that's special to me that maybe people don't know about like stuff like that low thing there's a company in new york that wants to put out a dvd of all my like little weird shorts and a lot i've made in the last two years Mm. Like a 10-minute thing called Crime, which is this, this kind of seed of an idea for a, a like a little digital crime series. I've made so much stuff in the last two and a half years that nobody ever saw, and it's all on my website under new work. Like, and like, you're saying, and and Mark, you were talking about, are you talking about Loan? Oh, Loan was a, I love Loan. Loan was a 50-minute film I made for an okay. artist named Chelsea Wolf. It's like my Jodorowsky yeah, I- film. Now, what I realized on that was like, it's like Imagine Dragons is 13 minutes for one song. So a 50-minute music film, which is like six songs tied together with a story, but very abstract, right? Very Tarkovsky-esque, right? But 50 minutes, lesson learned in 2015 when I made it is 50 minutes is a no man's land, right? 50 minutes is like, you can't do anything with 50 minutes. Just make it a feature. Right. I made a 30-minute short right before COVID called Nightwalkers. It's a 30-minute film, which isn't on my site because I'm still trying to get somebody to distribute it. Mm. But like that was just something I made in two days to see what can I make in two. Now it's it's very non-linear. It's very kind of it's it's not really there's a story there, but it's very loosey-goosey. But I love it. And I'm saying, ah, I'll just put it on my site, but I still think that I like Alex Proyas's site took it you know he's got this thing called vidiverse like they show it but like 30 minutes is like eh, it's too big for really a short film for a festival like what are you gonna do 
just make it a feature. That's why I made the severing a feature. I was like, fuck it, just make it 70 minutes. Then you can go to festivals and at least, like sure. Kino Lorber is going to put that out starting in January. At oh, least cool. you have a shot of getting it out in the world as a feature. Yeah, yeah, we're just going to try and show it. Well, Mark, thank you for this uh, all-encompassing conversation. appreciate you kind of being so willing to talk about everything in your career. And once again, bringing it back to the start, going all the way, the director's edit, which I love that title because it's so appropriate for the for that exact thing. Um, Oscilloscope is releasing it. You can watch it, seek it out. Um, it's a whole new movie. Seek out the original, but watch this one as well. And uh, yeah. I don't know, any final things, Mark, before we let you go? No, I love that this is the 4K re-edit, the real vision of the movie, um, because there's a dog meat pre-HD version that's out there somewhere in some <laughs> godforsaken place. But this is the thing to, to watch in theaters and then on, you know, and, and then it'll be streaming soon. And Oscilloscope's just been great with that. And, you know, I just always encourage people to go to my website. All my work, it's really up to date. Every interview, stills, every little scrap of low-budget thing, weirdo experimental stuff is on my site, the process. I share the process. And, um, you know, go to marktellington.com. And I think the severing is coming out in January in New York. It's going to start there. And uh, a buzz doc is on the way. And so I just appreciate the support of, you know, the people that like the work and the honesty. And, uh, you know, we might not be the Russo brothers, but we we, we try hard. <laughs> uh, I love it. Honestly, Mark, thank God for that. <laughs> yeah. We got to stick together. Uh, well, thank you, Mark. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. And that's our conversation with Mark. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you again to Mark for the time. If you are in New York or L.A., be sure to check out Going All the Way, the director's edit at Brain Dead Studios in L.A. and Quad Cinema on December 16th in New York. If you like what you've heard here, please do rate, review, and subscribe. You can follow The B-Side on Twitter and Facebook at TFSB Side. You can follow me on Twitter at ScruffyLook and Dan at DJ Mex. Thank you, as always, to Adam Blotner for our theme music. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can shoot us an email to B-Side, B-S-I-D-E, at thefilmstage.com. Coming down the pipe, we have our audience choice episode on the B-Sides of Michelle Yeoh and of some fun other interview opportunities we are putting together before the year's end. Outside of the B-Side, you can also find me as a guest with our friends at the Hawk Talk podcast, talking about Frank Marshall's Alive. And you can find Dan hosting the Film Stage show, discussing Todd Field's Tar. You can also find some new stuff from Dan's short story podcast, Fathom Stories, at Fathom Stories on Twitter and wherever you listen to your pods. And until the next one, dear friends... As the man said, we're not the Russo brothers. We gotta stick together. And now you're listening to the B-side.